0: You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the Westside Community News, and today we're going all over the map. For some recent Pacers news, first, finally, I will talk about it, Victor Oladipo's tweet from last week about his exit from the Pacers, lumping in Paul George and DeMontis Sabonis, and what that means, kind of contextualizing what it means from his perspective, the Pacers' perspective, in general, stars in Indiana, plus the preseason schedule, mostly out what I like about it, don't like about it, what it means for the Pacers, and I talked to Kendall Brown, Aaron Neesmith, and Goga Batadze at Victory Field earlier This month, and I'll talk about some of the stuff they shared in our conversations. I thought it was fun to talk to those guys, two of them new Pacers, and Goga got a lot of intrigue this season just because what's his role going to be? How's he going to slide in on this team? Lots of interesting stuff to get out of those guys at that event. But let's start with the thing that everybody has been wanting me to talk about for a while now, and that is Victor Oladipo's tweet. And I hate talking about a tweet from a player who's not even on the roster anymore. It's kind of why I put it off because. Look, he's not on the team anymore. What he says obviously matters a lot. He could have had a chance to be a franchise icon, but if I covered every tweet from a former player, we'd be going crazy on this show. But this one matters a little more. It's very context-heavy. It's very interesting, the things he said about the Pacers, and it was so kind of direct shot at a team that he deleted it. It is now gone, actually. I want to go pull it up to, to get the background and read it for this episode, and it's gone. it's gone it is now gone thankfully enough people wrote about it that i can still read it via articles but it has now been deleted so this is from the indie star who uh spelled out some player names thank you matthew Ventron, for getting this out there but victor oladipo someone replied to one of his tweets and said i missed the version of vic that we had uh implying in indiana and then said can't say i miss who he became eventually and victor oladipo said trust me i'm the same vo just a little wiser. Eventually, the realization has to surface that the players can't always be the problem. Exclamation point. Think about it. PG, VODS, and more. I love y'all Pacers fans and miss y'all more. Don't believe everything you read. All that stuff is delusional. Delusional. First of all. Are we sure that the DS is Sabonis? Could he be talking about Detlef Shrimp or Donald Sloan, for example? I'm joking. Look, we all know who PG, VO, and Sabonis are. He is talking about the most recent stars of the Pacers era. I think this is an interesting tweet where he's saying, look, I love the fans of Indy, but eventually you got to think, hey, all the stars are gone. All the stars are traded away. What happened? Is it right for fans to continue to point the finger at the players? And I would like to start off by offering a thought. A couple thoughts, actually. First of all, this is totally devoid of context, right? Totally devoid of context, as every tweet for all of time is. It's impossible to get all the context into a 160-character tweet. Vic knows that. You know that if you read it. I just have to add that in, and that's what this segment's going to be about, putting context into this, talking about what he could mean, and talking about what this means. So I would like to add something in that I think has been totally poorly discussed about the way Vic handled this and about the fan response. A lot of the fan response was like, oh, he's wrong, you know, Domas never expressed any discomfort, and PG requested a trade that was helpful, and Vic just completely changed. And I would like to say something different. I would like to say Vic knows his situation that he had with the Pacers, the discussions he had with the franchise, better than anyone. If he thinks he was slighted, he's totally fine to feel that way. He knows the story, and we don't. I think I know some of what happened. I've talked to a lot of people who had some conversations. I think I know some of the story. I don't know everything. I know I don't know everything, and I will never claim to know everything. I don't think anybody except for Victor Oladipo knows anything or everything, and that is why his tweet has to carry more weight than I think people are giving it. I think people are being too dismissive to an extent of the things he has to say. He is a star. He is one of the characters in this show that he is riding here. So it does matter to me that he said that, but because it's devoid of context, I think this has to be talked about. Let's start with Paul George, the first star out. Uh, of the franchise. And the reason I think it's funny to start with him is he got traded under an old regime. A different front office was the one that traded away Paul George. So a lot of differences here, same ownership, some similar names and parties with the Pacers. But look, PG, when he was with the Pacers and since then has sort of similarly shared frustrations with the franchise at his exit. Some of it in terms of spending, some of it in terms of what they were willing to go acquire, just in general. From being a guy who was relatively well embraced and led them to two conference finals, I think the similarities with the Vic start at about 2014, 15, gets injured very badly, and suddenly things start to deteriorate as the Pacers sort of bridge from one era to the next, right? But PG's like to stand out in the future, as he has claimed, as J. Michael reported by in the Star is, he thought the Pacers could get Anthony Davis, or at least he said that <laughs> Anthony Davis was willing to come pay for the play, play for the Pacers. Look, the Pacers could not have traded for Anthony Davis. They didn't even have the ammo to do it. They still, to this day, could not have matched what the Lakers ended up trading for him. But I think PG, if he wanted a better team around him and he thought that they could get these stars, and in his last season, he looks around and their big acquisitions are, you know, Thaddeus Young and Jeff Teague. I forget who else they acquired uh, that offseason. You know, good players. Jeff Teague was very good in his one season with the Pacers. Dan Young had a multi-year impact with the franchise. But I get why Al Jefferson, that was the other one. I get why he would turn around and go, you know, this this is who we brought in. You know, I'm Paul George. I'm about to be a free agent in two years. I think he, I understand why he would want more than that. Larry Bird did not remain with the franchise for much longer than that. They are not connected events. Larry Bird uh, stepping away in PG. But I will say. That I get why he would be frustrated on the way out. In that case, going from a good team, a conference finals team, and having that happen has to be hard. Um, Vic's exit is a little different, right? The front office change, it's now KP and Chad and a bunch of other names that have gone, come in and out, you know, Peter Dinwiddie, Kelly Crosscop, Ted Wu, um, that, that have formed the new Pacers front office. And Vic, obviously, heart of the franchise, the beating heart of the Pacers for a couple of years. And when his kind of... You know, the, his, the trade chatter around Vic lingered for a while. You know, after he returned, would he play in the bubble? Would he not? Is he fully committed? Jay Michael writes the report about him saying mid-game, can I come play with y'all? There were trade talks about Vic for months, if y'all recall. Before that 2020-21 season of bjork All all offseason was about the value of Oladipo. What could the Pacers fetch? How good can he be? There was a lot of chatter about that. And I say that to say, back at that time, When Vic was sort of, the the, the rumbling was that he's no longer interested in in being with the Pacers long term. They reported the offer, you know, a a nine-figure extension that he's not interested in. Something I mentioned was, look, this guy had Indiana in the palm of his hand. He owned, he literally was like the perfect franchise guy for a small market team, went to college there, beloved by fans. Something changed and if you can't keep the pg guy and then you have a second guy like this who also wants out that does mean something bad about the franchise to I me. Mean, I said that about the Pacers at the time. I said this is this is sort of damning to me in an interesting way that another star wants out and one at that who seems to be the perfect billing to fit what, you know, a small market franchise icon would be. Now, <laughs> with more information and 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 now that we have more context about, you know, the injury and what sort of changed in Vic's priorities and the Pacers becoming worse and then getting swept twice like I think it's fair to understand how everything changed and came into focus and things like that but I do think it's it's very interesting that um it went that way then Sabonis ascends to the star after the trade spending was really high by the way I would like to say that that they learning learning air quotes uh, as much as you can in every situation from PG, right? They were right up against the tax before they traded Vic. They, they salary dumped TJ Leaf to be as expensive as the Pacers were willing to be, right? They were an expensive team at that time. They were spending to, to make these guys happy. Uh, and then Domas is now the star after Vic's been traded. Carousel Verde is in town. And so Bonus, look, remember the awkward rookie negotiations he had in the summer of 2019? You know, and he said, I know how the franchise feels about me and didn't like the deal he got. And they ultimately ended up agreeing on something. That's the only sort of strife you've ever heard about the Pacers and Sabonis. I think Kevin O'Connor and a couple others reported that he was unhappy in Indiana this past season in December. He ultimately was traded in February. I never heard that. You know, I never heard that Sabonis was unhappy in Indiana. I'm not saying he was or wasn't uh, specifically, but I will say I personally never heard that. And so to zoom out and put a bow on all this, I think... And I even put a bow on all this just to keep talking through this. I have a lot of notes I apologize if you're on YouTube and you see me keep looking to the side I think that if the Pacers are bad at catering to stars that is a knock on the franchise But I don't think that's true I think they learn a lot from every new player and every new type of player coming through the franchise and have had some terrible Not, I don't I don't want to blame it all on luck I don't want to say the Pacers did everything right, but I've had some bad luck in terms of the players they acquired the money they spent, the steps they tried to make to keep stars happy were either derailed by injuries or something else getting in the way. And I think they've learned the lessons along the way, one. And two, the, the second part devoid of context is trading Vic was them being opportunistic. They decided to do that when they realized they could get Lavert in that deal. Trading Sabonis, same thing. They realized they could get Halbert. PG was a trade demand. It's a little different the way that it's all sorted out. I would say that PG was the most damning to your franchise of, I don't want to be here anymore, more so than the latter two. You know, Vic was pretty bought in at the beginning of the 2020-21 season you know, in a way that was impressive for a guy who had reportedly said, I don't want to be here anymore to members of another team. He was bought in. He was playing very well. That's part of why they were able to actually get value for him. They had some crappy injury luck, Sabonis in the playoffs, TJ Warren in the bubble, Vic himself obviously, Turner's been hurt a bunch, Paul George himself got hurt, other guys got hurt, terrible timing, some other risks, Tyreek Evans, right, Malcolm Brogdon not playing all the time, some of the guys they tried to bring in to shore up this stuff. It didn't work out enough in a way that would keep your superstar at the maximum happy level. I can win with this franchise. I can make money with this franchise. I love this. This is great. They have had some stuff that didn't work out. That is a knock on the Pacers. When things don't work out, it's your job to try to make things work out. It's also bad luck, and context is important, and you can't criticize people for bad luck. So to put a bow on this, look, Vic is allowed to say what he wants and say what he he thinks is true, and I think he knows better than anyone, and I will give a lot of to what players have. I don't know if that's the right word. I give a lot of of points in my head to what players have to say. They know better than anyone. As long as everyone's living and learning and understanding what actually happened and isn't writing their own story, I think it's fair enough for everyone to say what they want. So if the Pacers have lived and learned and said, okay, we are now better at, at at keeping our franchise catered to the modern star, great, then they have learned something from this. And remember, they have Tyrese Halbert now, who might be a modern star. They got him for a player that, again, I never heard disliked Indiana, but apparently Vic is suggesting that <laughs> something with between Sabonis and the Pacers was not all the way perfect uh, is why he was included in the tweet. But all these players he included, PG, Vic, and Domas had different situations regarding their time with the Pacers and their exit from the Pacers. I think the Pacers deserve some criticism for their steps along the way, but I don't think everything the players did necessarily was always perfect in every step going back through history. Of all time, So I think we have a litmus test to see what will shake out here. Tyrese Halliburton's on the team now. Appears to be all in on a rebuilding new franchise that he is now on. Can they get this right? I think they can. I think they know what they need to do. And I think he's a Midwest guy through and through. He said he likes Indiana. I believe him. We'll see if this means anything for the Pacers. And maybe I'm reading too much into this tweet. Maybe I'm revising history in my own way. But we'll see what happens. And I think this was a very interesting tweet from Vic that people were too quick to write off. But I also think that context matters and the different exits for each player make it hard for me to lump them all into one thing and say, this is clearly a problem from the franchise. I just think some crap happened. That is my end of that rant on that tweet. It's now gone, so I probably shouldn't have wasted this much breath and this much time on it. But let's talk about the preseason schedule and actual basketball games with the current roster instead of talking about a former player's tweet about The franchise, the Pacers' preseason schedule has been bitly released by other teams, possibly their full preseason schedule. Let's break it down. Before we do that, though, I would like to talk to you guys about BetOnline.net, the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your betting needs. You can find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games at BetOnline.net. They've got reviews and news for every big league, Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, eSports, even golf all at BetOnline.net, who continue to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering info from live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts. They've got you covered. They've got lines up for the Colts' upcoming preseason game, their first home game hosting the Detroit Lions. The Lions are actually favored. I have no idea how preseason lines are set, but after the Colts loss in Buffalo, perhaps you may be thinking to take or not take that. You can get the Lions at BetOnline.net. Head over to that website today or use your mobile device so learn more about the trends in the action happening today at betonline.net because BetOnline is where the game starts. Thank you, as always, for making Locked on Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, check out Locked on Heat, Victor Oladipo's new team. They've been having a killer month. Wes Goldberg, David Mill, they do a great job. Over at Locked on Heat, let's talk about the Pacers now. Their preseason schedule has slowly been released, and not by the Pacers, but by other teams. First up, we saw the Hornets Release their preseason schedule, then the Rockets released their preseason schedule, then the Knicks, and all of a sudden, we've seen four Pacers preseason games. They're in Charlotte on October 5th. They're in New York on October 7th, and they're home playing New York on October 12th, and home playing Houston on October 14th. First of all, everybody get hype. We know dates of Pacers games less than two months away, something like 45 days from now. I should be doing math better than that, probably closer to 50. Either way... Soonish! Pacers, basketball, back! Boom! Yes! You love to hear that. I'm excited to watch them play. A new era is here, and I'm looking forward to seeing how they play against Charlotte and all these teams. Uh, so I've seen that, you know, people have talked about this being their preseason schedule. Uh, I th- they usually have played four preseason games. I don't think it's crazy they play five. Some other teams play five. The Hornets, who the Pacers are on their schedule, play five preseason games, uh, for example. So maybe this is their whole thing, maybe it's not, and I only say that because there's a big gap between at New York on the 7th and home for New York on the 12th. Perhaps there's a game in the middle there. So I don't say this is the whole Pacers preseason schedule, but in the past, historically, we've seen them play just four games. I think this could be their schedule. So we know they'll be home in Cambridge on the 12th. There's construction going on. No events in Cambridge till October. At least we know that that is a game that happens. And I think that cutting through their preseason schedule, marrying it up with some concerts we know are happening, it's actually a little revealing for the Pacers' schedule schedule, which will come out later this week. But, for example, Post Malone's on October 2nd. That's the first event when it reopens carry Underwoods on the 17th right so that matters first of all that's a two week gap and there's two preseason games in the middle there but because they play in the second and then not again for two weeks it's possible to me that there'd be a game before the 12th right that's a 10-day gap in there that's why I think it's possible their preseason schedule has one more game than has been announced but until they release it we don't know I think it's very possible that it's just these four first of all second of all uh, Lizzo is performing on the 18th, the day after Carrie Underwood. Why does that matter? Well, we've seen Shams Charania put out in recent days, as well as some other reporters, the actual NBA schedule starts on October 19th this year. That is the first day of the NBA calendar. If Lizzo and Carrie Underwood are performing the two days before leading up to that game, uh, I'd imagine the Pacers' first game will be on the road <laughs> on the 20th. Not impossible. They can turn over the stadium. In fact, it's pretty easy to do, but I uh, that, that suggests that they could have their first game on the road. They were on the road to start last season in Charlotte, ironically, who they played to start the preseason as well. So I I will loosely predict they start the season on the road, but not not. Saying a Lizzo concert will prevent them from playing at home to start their season. Just talking about Gamebridge reopening since it's been under construction for so many months. What do these games actually mean? I'll do a full preseason preview closer to the time as camp begins and we can talk to coaches and players. But first of all, I think it's cool to see Ben Matherin versus Jabari Smith. Uh, that Houston Pacers game will be really cool. Third overall pick versus sixth overall pick. Jabari's going to fit really well next to Jalen Green for that franchise. Ben Matherin's a cornerstone piece for this Pacers rebuild. Seeing them going against each other will be really fun. I'm amped that the Pacers get to play against one other team who has a top 10 pick just for the headlines, just to talk about how the rookies do in that matchup. And they won't probably guard each other just given their positions very much. In fact, they might not even play that much. That's the final preseason game on the schedule, probably for both teams. Um, But I still think it will be fun to watch those guys go against each other. But I also like that the Pacers play some decent teams. New York adds Jalen Brunson. Who Knows what's going to happen with Donovan Mitchell, but uh, you know, the Knicks are going to be at least a decent team. They were the fourth seed two years ago. I mean, f- f- that's pretty dang good. The Charlotte Hornets, on the same time, playing team two years in a row, new coach, still have an all star on their team in the mellow ball. Talented team, some good litmus tests for the Pacers. Tyrese Halberton gets to go against quality guards early on in his career. We get to see, you know, how the new look backcourt looks against other talented backcourts. Miles Turner gets to go against some cupcake defensive centers um, from Charlotte early in his new role if he's still on the team at the time. You know, some decent teams, but good litmus test opportunities for this Pacers team early in the preseason to kind of see what they are and see what they can be with a younger team. Uh, Also, it'll be really interesting to see the style of teams they play and how that kind of helps us learn about the Pacers. They play two terribly crummy defensive teams in Charlotte and Houston. Did the Pacers just rip them up? Can they look like a team like last year that's very potent offensively and is able to rip through these crummy defensive teams? They also play two crummy offensive teams, and really that's just one team. The Knicks, uh, who were not a great offensive team last year, but have added some pieces, right? Can their defense look any good? The Pacers' defense, worse than the league from the All-Star break to the end of the season last year. Can it look any better against that Knicks team? That'll, of course, be interesting. Now, for me and for most of you who like roster building, that big gap between the 7th and the 12th, five days, if they don't schedule a game in there is interesting. Is that a time when they, you know, okay, they've played two road preseason games, they've got a good feel for their first batch of Exhibit 10 guys, so they cut some of them and bring in some other guys to to be on the team or compete for a roster spot. They're so far from the salary floor, they could think about doing a juggle mid-preseason to get some evaluation in the door. And so that big gap is interesting in that it could allow them to do that, get some practices in with new guys and not have them miss a beat when the season starts, when other preseason games come. You know, for a team that is looking to hit the floor, is looking to finish building their roster, perhaps that time in preseason could still be valuable. Other teams could be cutting players around the same time. I think that's really sort of important for the team given their current roster situation. Last point in the preseason two games against the same team. Little bit of a minor thing, but it'll be cool to see one how Rick Carlisle can help this team adjust to the extent that that matters in the preseason adjustments from game to game. You know, in the preseason, yeah, it's a preseason game, but some specifically for the rookies to go against the same team twice, to learn how adjustments work, to learn how watching film against a team you've already played and are now playing again, how that works, learning all these processes of being a a rookie in the league, going against the same team twice, will be helpful in that way. And I think playing the Knicks twice for both the Knicks youngsters and the Pacers youngsters will be a valuable learning experience in this preseason setting. That's pretty nice that that shook out the way it did. For the Pacers, specifically Benedict Mather, who can now say, okay, I played one game against this team, now how can I be better? What did I do well? What did I do poorly? I can watch film with the coaching staff and learn what this will look like during the season, I find that to be particularly valuable for valuable for this team. So maybe they stick another game in the middle of those two. But even so, they still have two games against the Knicks. They still will have that film to learn, to adjust, and to really get a lot out of preseason more than just playing games, tuning up for the season, things like that. So we have confirmation, Pacers basketball. And you will, most likely at least, per... Uh, a couple people david lock boss man of this podcast network as well as mark stein get the full pacers schedule come wednesday we'll be talking about that probably next monday because i'm going on vacation this coming weekend adam friedman old host of the show should return for that to do our usual schedule preview show one of my favorites of the year let's talk about one more thing that i did this month talking to three pacers on the team this year aaron neesmith kendall brown Goga batadze just notes from those conversations there's no themes there's nothing that stood out or jumped off the page at me just want to share some information about those guys that one isn't necessarily hugely public right now and two uh in this time where you know there's not as much going on to just hear from guys on the team so let's talk about those conversations and what I learned from those guys Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pistons your first listen today. And every single day for your second listen, hop on over to Lockdown NBA. Hear the latest and greatest from around the league. Kevin Durant, latest uh, Christmas Day matchups, some interesting games trickling in, and more. And I hosted with Matt Moore, so of course you'll want to hear all about that from me. So I talked to Aaron Nismith, Gogo Batadze, and Kendall Brown at Victory Field earlier this month. A little bit with Benedict Mather as well, but wasn't recording, was just kinda shooting the breeze in a nice day at Victory Field. Uh, Less Pacers-y questions with him. But with the other guys, was a lot about the Pacers. So let's start with Aaron Neesmith, who I talked to for the longest time, uh, coming from Boston to Indiana. We talked a little bit about how tough it was for him to kind of adjust in in Vegas, right? Coming from Boston to Indiana, he's just sort of waiting around for the trade to be complete, and then has to learn all this stuff on the fly tough situation in a summer league setting. Um, but something I, I did want to talk to him about was Rick Carlisle noted during a summer league broadcast that he kind of saw a lot of his own situation as a player in Aaron Nismith When Rick Carlisle played with the Celtics, you know, he, when he he was young and when he had to get in the game on a championship contending team, he really had to produce or he'd get benched. Nismith had a similar situation uh, in Boston, but now has a better chance to play, with the Pacers, and Niesmith said he thinks this situation is better for him, and he thinks it's interesting that it's similar to Carlisle's as a player, and he said he feels like they kind of have a similar mind in that sense. He also said, Neesmith said, I know I'm going to get more opportunity to play and learn from mistakes. Uh, I know. Very conviction-filled statement there. I think I penciled him in to have an everyday spot as a, as a reserve wing on this team. We'll see what he actually shakes out to have, but I do think this is a good situation for Aaron Niesmith, and he's excited about the opportunity. To play a little more. I tried to ask him about something I think has been interesting for the 2020 draft, which is those guys have never had a normal offseason. They get drafted, they have about three weeks, training camp starts, and boom, their first season's going. Their second offseason is only about a month, month and a half before they to jump into their normal season. And then this is their first normal offseason, except. As Aaron Neesmith detailed to me, that's not the case for him. He still hasn't had a normal offseason because the Celtics played all the way through the finals, six games of it. So he only had about a month, or he's only had about a month and a half off of the season. The Pacers haven't played for four months. Neesmith played about a month and a half ago for the Celtics in the finals. Then he got traded when he was down in in one of the Carolinas golfing. He finds out he gets traded, right? So he's had a chaotic offseason anyway. So he still hasn't had a normal offseason. This month of August is really his chill time. I talked to him about Daniel Tice. I wrote a story about that and talked about it on a podcast last week if you're interested in hearing more about how Daniel Tice can help the Pacers, but he thinks Indy's a good vibe for Tice and that he's a good teammate will help the Pacers. And then something else And the final question I asked him was about Jalen uh, Smith, who, who similar to him, was on a good team that Couldn't really find minutes for him and get him on the floor and came to Indiana and then really took advantage of an opportunity. Neesmith said, he came over here and made the most of it. Now it's my turn, right? So Neesmith hoping to make Indy a similar situation that Jalen Smith did last year. I talked to Kendall Brown for a little bit. Summer League was helpful for him to kind of acclimate to the NBA and having guys like Chris Duarte... Uh, guys like Terry Taylor, Isaiah Jackson on that team was helpful for him to just see how NBA guys operate, how good they are. And on, on an athletic team, what he needs to do to keep up because he's been pure athletic. That can be helpful in getting to the pro level. But all of a sudden, Isaiah Jackson can jump higher than you and run faster than you. If you're Kendall Brown, you've got to learn to grow your other skills. And Being around those NBA players who've played before and being on an athletic team was helpful for him in growing out in vegas i asked him about hanging out with benedict Matherin, and two rookies in the same rookie class who presumably hung out quite a bit he said they talk every day and he says he thinks he's a cool dude uh, he also said he's been working with Rick Carlisle a fair bit, thinks he's great. And you know, we talked about how Rick Carlisle's a, a teacher, loves that part of basketball and how that can be helpful for Kendall Brown. And Kendall told me that Rick Carlisle has been working with him on shooting and mechanics a lot, which were an athletic wing. Hey, if he can defend a little bit and shoot some of those threes, that's an NBA player. Even if he's only good at one of those things, at his height, if he can defend or shoot, that's an NBA player who can be rostered. I think working on those skills is, of course, important i also asked them a burning question hey uh when are you gonna sign with the team couldn't really answer much there he's still out there unsigned he's not exactly sure when exactly that will happen as he shouldn't be the flexibility for the pacers is valuable as the pacers as the uh, kevin durant saga keeps going whatever happens with the lakers whatever happens with utah the pacers sitting there and not signing these exhibit 10 or 2a guys until they absolutely have to maybe september 6th when the tender deadline comes up makes a lot of sense so, he'll probably be sitting out there for a while. Kendall Brown also said he was impressed with Chris Duarte's maturity, and Payson wants to learn how to do that stuff from Summer League. And he is working on those things he mentioned with, with Rick Carlisle his shooting and uh, also his ball handling. I also talked to Goga Batadze, who was there, uh, a guy we haven't heard a lot about this summer for good reason. They have a lot of other big men, they've had some turnover on the team. Uh, Goga's in Indy working out a little bit before he heads over to Georgia for Eurobasket. Georgia, his home country, is hosting the event. Very big deal. He wants to be there. For that he said it's huge for his country to be able to host the event he's excited to play of course his family is Georgian uh, so he called Ben Matherin a baller <laughs> uh, said that Ben came in Benedict excuse me Benedict Matherin I've got to get over that habit my goodness uh, said he's a baller he came in and played physical defense he was impressed with the way he played in summer league as a vet and then Goga got to take that Finally, I got to ask a player who was on the team last year about this. I asked about the Malcolm Brogdon trade. Not a lot of guys who were on the team last year have really been asked about that, and for good reason. One, a lot of guys on the team last year are not back this year, but two, most of the guys who are back are young players who the topic of this conversation drew about Summer League. Goga uh, said that Malcolm was his guy. He was close with him, and he learned a lot from him. It was pretty tough for Goga to, to see Malcolm Brogdon go, even if the trade was the right decision for the Pacers. Obviously, the friendship parts of this stuff, always stinks and you know Goga a guy who played with Malcolm for his whole career right Uh, they were close that that is no longer they are no longer teammates Goga said he's working on trying to be a little more physical get into better shape for Eurobasket to be ready for the season but he's feeling settled right Um, because he got drafted in 2019. So his off-seasons were a COVID off-season and then a short off-season and then a short off-season. He said he feels settled. He got to see his family in the off-season for the first time of his career. And he's happy to kind of be a vet now, right? He's one of the longest tenured Pacers behind Miles Turner on this franchise. He's now in a teaching kind of role, even though he himself is younger and still on his rookie contract. He's looking forward to that. And he thinks this young team will be fun and aggressive to be a part of. So just a lot of notes From what those guys had to say in those conversations, it was a fun event. It was good to see a lot of my Pacers media pals and talk to some players. I'll do more of these summaries of conversations as the offseason goes along. I could do it more often. But this seemed like a good show to fit it in with some other newsy tidbits about the Pacers. Thanks, y'all, for listening this far into this show. We're doing another What If Tomorrow on a topic TBD, and then I haven't figured out the last show for this week because of my vacation schedule. I'm going to have to change some stuff up on the fly because I am super busy this week wrapping up the fever season as well. So thank you for bearing with me on all that. So thank you guys a ton for listening. Have a great day, and we will see you tomorrow.